So, full disclosure, I have a love-hate relationship with this gospel text this morning. I'll start with the love. If you have ever wondered what it looks like to be a priest outside of Sunday morning, as I know plenty do, here it is. Teaching folks Matthew 18 in one form or another is a lot of what I do. I lean on this text all the time. All kinds of challenges come our way in life for countless reasons. And so I spend a good deal of my time having conversations with people about where life has gotten hard. Much of the time, it seems that these hard places can be helped by practicing this simple method that Jesus lays out. And that's what I offer again and again. Can you go to the person directly and in private and share your truth? If that doesn't work, let's try again. I can go with you. Maybe I can help. And if that still doesn't work, we've got more people we can rely on for support. But in my experience, the first step, and maybe occasionally the second, takes care of almost everything. It's, it's kind of miraculous how much can change in a situation or in a relationship by simply coming together, one with another, and offering our truth. But I said I have a love-hate relationship with this text. Perhaps hate is too strong a word. Maybe, maybe it's that I also dread it. Because the truth is, as much as I have seen this to be a consistently life-giving way forward, it is really, really hard. I want to pause here for just a moment to acknowledge that plenty of churches have used this text to do all kinds of damage have used it to shame and ostracize people, which is never okay, and desperately misses the point here. If that has been your experience, I'm sorry. It should not have happened that way. And, and this practice has the possibility of carrying tremendous grace into fraught situations. And yet still, I dread it because in my experience, whether you are on the giving end of this truth or are receiving it from someone else, it feels incredibly vulnerable. You may know that I'm involved as a leader in an organization called the College for Congregational Development, which brings lay leaders and clergy together from across the country to learn ways to help the church become more faithful, more healthy and sustainable, more effective. And one of the practices that we teach focuses on giving and receiving feedback rooted in this gospel passage. It is as simple as it is difficult. We coach people in learning to say, when you, and then fill in an observable, observable behavior, I felt, and then, fill in an emotion, a feeling word, 
You can talk about the impact that the behavior had on you and what you'd request or hope for in the future, or you can just leave it with that one sentence. When you blank, I felt blank. Hands down, this is by far and away the toughest thing that we teach at the college. We don't start at the varsity level of our gospel this morning. We're not pushing people together to list off each other's sins. In fact, we start them off giving only positive feedback, compliments. Even this is challenging. Emotions run high and palms are sweaty and many, many times I have had people opt out of the exercises entirely. And I get it. When we give people honest feedback, we are often revealing as much about ourselves as we are telling them about themselves. Sharing the impact someone has had on us is tender. Naming our emotions out loud is something that we don't do very much. And often, giving feedback sheds light on on what we might long for or what we might fear. And because of this, even when the feedback is positive, it's deeply vulnerable. I have felt this every time I've gathered up the courage to give feedback, and every time I've taken a deep breath to welcome someone else's gift of it. I feel confident that this vulnerability is the main reason that giving feedback is so difficult. But I have a hunch that there's another reason sliding in as a close second. The fact that doing this requires paying close attention. It's no help to just say, hey, you made me really mad the other day. Instead, we have to carefully focus in, what what in particular did this person do? What did they say? What was their specific observable behavior? And just as importantly, what did we feel in response? Not what did they make us feel, no one can make us feel anything, but but what impact did their actions have on us? What emotion did we feel rise up in response to what they did? We have to slow down and notice. We have to set aside our screens and our constant chronic task switching and all our highly enjoyable numbing agents and notice what is going on in and around ourselves. And then when another offers us this gift, taking in this feedback also requires our attention. It requires that we listen carefully, that we consider how this person experienced us, what our impact on them was, and how it may differ from what we intended. We have to pay attention. When I zeroed in on that need for our undivided attention as a core part of this practice, I immediately thought of Simone Weil, a French philosopher and mystic who lived in the early 1900s. 
They wrote that, and I quote, attention taken to its highest degree is the same thing as prayer. It presupposes faith and love. Absolutely unmixed attention is prayer. As I walked with this gospel this week, I held these two things. In one hand, I held the challenging and necessary practice of giving and receiving feedback. And in the other, Vey's notion that prayer can be as simple as paying attention. And as I walked, holding these two ideas, the passage shifted for me. I think I've always regarded it more or less as a handy and practical manual. The community in which the Gospel of Matthew was written had grown up enough that they'd moved beyond some of that early wonder of the faith. They had developed enough that they were running into conflicts. Not because they were bad people or bad Christians, but simply because they were people in community. When you get two or three of us together, sooner or later, there will be conflicts. It's not bad. It just is. But, but what if this passage isn't just ancient bylaws carried forward from an early Christian community? What if instead it is an offering of how we might make the way we engage with people? at home, at work, at church, on the blacktop, at school, stuck in traffic everywhere? What if we made the way we come together a practice of prayer, of paying attention, of noticing and listening, of reaching for deeper connection, of trusting that grace exists between us? hard. It's vulnerable. It's the kind of thing many of us would rather opt out of, not just in an exercise and a class, but in real life. But here's the promise that accompanies it. We do not do this work alone. When we come together to speak this truth, to give each other honest feedback, God is present. God's presence is not dependent on when things are going wonderfully or when we're all living in harmony. God shows up in our muck and in our strife and in our all but paralyzing vulnerability. Maybe this promise can help us begin to embrace feedback not just as a practical solution, but as a prayer practice. Here, today, Jesus encourages us to pay close attention to what separates us, one from another, and then reach to share this truth, even when it's hard. He encourages us to offer our full attention, which is itself prayer. And when we do that, when just two or three of us come together to be real and true and hopeful, 
offering and receiving feedback in openness and vulnerability, Jesus himself is there among us.